Good morning. Pleasure to bring you God's Word today to build up your faith. We are in a sermon series, as you've heard, about relationships. Last Sunday was the first of 13 Sundays, your relationship with God. Today is your relationship with your, yourself. So you look on this screen that I've got in front of you. you got, I've got two pictures there. How do you look at yourself? That little boy on the, on the, the left side, he, he's representative of the 1999 Kenny Rogers song, I am the greatest. Have you heard that song? Raise your hand just so I know. Okay, about half of you. I am the greatest, right? Remember, he says the little boy throws up the ball and he swings and he misses and then the chorus comes, I am the greatest, and then throws up the ball again and swings and he misses and he throws up the ball a third time, swings and he misses. Each time the chorus says, I am the greatest. And he says he picks up his ball, puts his bat on his shoulder and he goes home and he goes, I am the greatest. I never knew I could pitch like that. <laughs> His view of his self was secure in a solid, self-confident self-image. And we smile and laugh when we hear the song, and it, it's encouraging. The, the, little, the little child on the, on the right in his mother's lap is upset, and it reminds me of a story about a little boy who got in trouble for doing something that he had been told several times not to do, and he knew it, and he felt guilty, and he, after he'd been scolded, he crawled up in his mother's lap and said, I am a bad boy. Now, both of those people that have the opposite self-image of one another, that use identity talk, I am the greatest, I am a bad boy, that's the way you look at yourself, your identity, both of those are rather atheistic. While we might say we'd really hope that little children would grow up being encouraged like the one on the left, not, not so fast. We are God's people. We are Christian people. We don't, we, there is a, a kind of self-image that the world talks about that's really empty at the end game. And it's empty whether you say you're the greatest or you say I'm a bad person. If you have no God, if you have no Jesus as your God, you can't really properly relate to yourself. We are God's people. We believe he created us. We believe that in his book, he tells he created us first in his image, which was holy and pure and like him, and that we fell from that, and that he redeemed us and loves us. And so he owns us, and he gets to tell us what, what we are. And when we look at him, when we look at him, then we get our ability to look at ourselves correctly from him. So I picked this picture of a little boy who's really happy, smiling, looking up at his dad, walking down a path. And my, my thought is this, this little boy loves himself because he sees that his daddy loves him. This little boy feels confident because he knows his daddy is supporting him behind him. This dad is showing his love and affection by making eye contact and, and, and interacting and engaging with this little boy. This dad is defining his son and God defines us that way because we are children of God. He is our Father. And when Jesus, when they asked Jesus how to pray, he says, start with our Father, because we look at God as our dad, right? And we've all had good dads and bad dads and dads that were good that had bad moments and dads that were bad that had good moments. But we've got a heavenly Father who fills in all the gaps and he, 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 he fixes everything and if we will, in spirituality, true spirituality, Christianity is looking to God and His Word and letting the Father define us, we will have a stable 
strong self-image, a relationship, if you will, with ourselves that is healthy. And that's what I'm preaching for you today. I am aiming to send you out of here with a clear understanding of how to have a healthy relationship with yourself. That's what I'm trying to do with God's Word. And I'm reminded of a a moment when I was watching the 10 o'clock news one Friday night after Leander High School played a football game, and there's a kid on their team, safety, that went on to play for Texas as a safety. His name is Blake Gideon. His dad was the head coach of the Leander High School football team. And it was a great game, and Blake had a, it was like MVP of his playoff game, his game of the week, and so they were, they were talking about it, and they interviewed him real quickly after the game, and they said, well, how do you feel about your performance? You ran for this many yards, this many touchdowns, da-da-da-da-da, and he, he said, I feel like it was a really good game, but I'm going to wait until my dad gets a chance to look at the film, and we sit down together, and he tells me what he sees. I'm going to wait for my dad to look at the film and then we sit down together and he tells me what he sees. And I thought as a pastor (laughs) listening that, oh, that is a golden quote for Christians. I'm going to wait for God to look at my life and sit down with me as my loving father whom I trust and tell me what he sees and help me, right? So that's what today's about. Get you, I want to get you off of that continuum where it's I am the greatest or I am bad to I am what God tells me. Just get completely off the self-centered continuum. And the first thought comes from the Old Testament. You are a special creation. Psalm 139, would you read it with me out loud? For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. That was written by David. Made in his, he's, he's thinking about his life. He's a grown man now. And he says, you're the one, God, that designed me in my mother's womb. You picked my parents. You picked my gender. You picked my, my size and uh, muscle tone and bone structure and eyeballs and everything. You picked everything about me, my intellect, my capacity, You did it all. You knit me together, and I am wonderful. And I'm going to tell you that we all know this. Many of us, including me, struggle with not liking the way we think God made us. And we have our relationship with ourself is one of self-rejection. It's this undercurrent of criticism and critique of who we are and the placement we are in life and the family we were given or the looks that we have or the burdens that our, our, our immune system or our body has gone through. Because God, if you're there and if we don't understand ourselves as a special creation of God, then you start to criticize the Creator. Isaiah said one time, Woe to you if you look at yourself and say, What have you done, God? When I was growing up in a family of six, I had a brother right above me, 20 months older, that was extremely good at drawing. He later grew up, and he's here in, in Texas, became an architect. He, he drew the plans for our, our home that we live in now, my wife and me. He drew the plans for our church in Pflugerville. And he's done many apartment complexes, houses, churches, all kinds of stuff. He's a fantastic drawer. But as me, as a 20-month you know, 20 month younger brother 
four or five years old, watching him get all the praise for his drawing, you know what I thought. If you want to be valuable, important in person, you've got to learn to draw well. <laughs> Have you seen my handwriting? <laughs> yeah, see, you're laughing. That's indicative of any ability that I have natively to draw. I tried, and I felt very small compared to my brother when, the home, when my life circled around just the home. You know, I hadn't got out and grown up and moved. And I had to do what you had to do, learn that that wasn't me. And God didn't create me to be him. He created me to be a talker. <laughs> and I'm here, and I'm happy with who I am. He's rather, my brother's rather recluse a little bit. One time we were talking about his church, and he said, I think our pastor is way too shy. He goes, let me give you an illustration, Donald. I am the most gregarious guy in the church. <laughs> I said, I got it. I understand. Right? So God made us unique and differently, but if you are spending your time thinking you should be someone else, whether they're in your family or in your school or wherever, in the circle at work, and you're, 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 you're down on yourself or you're envious and whatever, you are wasting time with an unspiritual attitude about who you are. It is unhealthy, and it's not worship of God who made you and made us all to be unique. And God must and does limit you and me. He limits us so that we can fit in the slot he made for us, but there, he has limitless plans for us in our slot. And I just real quickly, I'm going to leave this point. I want to point out, it's a secular book about social, it's really about developing self-image and understanding your gifts, but it, it's really, it's really dovetails with what I'm saying, it's called Strength Finders. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but it's a wonderful book and you can go online and do your, find one of your top five strengths out of 34 strengths they've identified with research of over 10 million people, probably 15 now, million people, and it will help you start maximizing your strengths instead of always being bothered and troubled by your weaknesses. And now, always be, I know it's dangerous when a pastor says this when he's preaching, but I got one more thought on this one. There's a movie called Rudy. Remember that one? And this guy works really hard. He's at Notre Dame to finally get on the field to do one play. And, and I, I think it's over, the movie's kind of covering over a five-year period. The authors of, of Strength Finders say, what if Rudy spent five years working on his strengths instead of overcoming his one weakness for the one little moment, which was a play in a game? And that's that, but that's the kind of legends that drive American culture that actually do a number on your head. So God says, I made you unique and special, and I gave you strengths, and be appreciative of them, worship me because of them. And work on making those talents that make you a blessing to other people. That's the right relationship to have with yourself. I mean, I'm a unique creature. Let's go to the next one. The second one is that I am a, as, as I'm a dearly loved child. When you hear that, you may say, duh. I mean, that we're Christians. We're children of God. But actually, it's one of the easiest things that we forget about ourselves. When you and I slighted or praise, whether we're, you know, someone is against us or for us, we get way into our gender, our race, our accomplishments, our age, our youthfulness, our, our maturity, our income status, our possessions, 
whether we're employed or unemployed, we get all into that. And, we, and by that I mean get all into that. We start feeling really down or really puffed up and happy. It is all a, a, a house of cards. I am a dearly loved child of God. And uh, the, the passage I chose is probably not the s- most simple in the Bible. But the, in the Bible there are tons of passages that say your identity is a child of God. I'll give you one. 1 John 3 says... What great love God has lavished on us that we would be called children of God, right? That's awesome is what he's saying. But here I want to show you something, how it makes you look at yourself in relationship to other people. Paul says, Do you have put on the new self. When you became a Christian, you put on a new self, which was Jesus. Jesus was the, I'll, I'll say the first word and you say the second one. Jesus was the only begotten son of God the only begotten well you took on his status when you see only begotten you go man he is like top shelf for the father right he's the only one that he had begotten the rest of us are adopted but you took on that status you put that on you have the same status as Jesus as the only begotten son of God you're not the only begotten son of God but you have the status with God the father is that So you have put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Jesus was just like the Father, and you want to be like Jesus. Some people wear bracelets. What would Jesus do? You want to be like Jesus because he was the example of a Christian, a person who's living a, a human life like we were invented to live. So Paul says, now, here in this place where you wear Christ, there is no what? Look at the passage. There's no Gentile or Jew. You might say African-American or Caucasian. Hispanic or Asian. Circumcised or uncircumcised. Right? Aggie or Longhorn. I had to throw that in there. Barbarian or Scythian. Packer or cowboy. Slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. See, that gets you off the continuum of self. And when I hear people, A, in this latest part of our, of our, our, this latest era that we're in, where there's been a resurge of racism in America, I, I, I say as a pastor, and I'm saying it to you now for you to say it to yourself, these people that are even in a, the hardest time are getting so wrapped up in whether or not they were treated with racism or not are not remembering that they are first a child of God and I also need to remember that anybody of any other race if they have faith in Christ is first a child of God and if they don't I have one big goal and that's not to win the race war I want to make them a child of God that's what I want it to be all about because we are children of God first and this isn't like I'm still a man right I'm still a pastor in my job I'm still a husband and a father and whatever else, an American, a Texan, right? But I am first a child of God. And everyone else that has faith in Jesus is first a child of God. Everyone in your family that has faith is first a child of God, not your little sister or your big sister or your mean mama or your mean daddy. They are first a child of God. This, with the way you look at yourself as a child of God, it gives incredible stability and ability to love other people because you see yourself and all other people as blood-bought souls. This is so powerful, 
like it is in this verse that Paul uses it in Galatians also, a couple other places. But a lot of people just don't know it. You, you, it ends up leveling out the way you look at yourself. And one more thing on this era that we live in, and I'll move on to the third one. This whole thing about gender specificity being chosen by me. I, what do I identify with? What do I feel like? I can decide my gender. That is spun in the world without God in the picture because God says, I have made you first a child of God. And the biggest thing in your life is not whether you can figure out your gender, whether it's, you're going to do it by objective data or subjective feelings. The biggest thing, first of all, is that you're a child of God. The big thing in life, I'm telling you young people, is understanding that you're a child of God. Then as a child of God, you will listen, like Blake Gideon, to his fa- your father. And you will let your father teach you, instead of you trying to f- teach yourself what you think you are. And that's the real problem with all this gender milu problem that we have, is that we're, we're letting the world, with its lostness, talk about we get to decide. Well, we don't get to decide near as much as we think we do. But it's always a blessing when we let God decide. It's not a curse. Okay, let's go to the next one. The third thing that you need to understand in order to be a, a secure and strong and stable believer and human being is that you are a sinner. Notice I piled up all those terms, stable and strong and, and, and uh, secure. But most people, especially in our culture, oh no, that would be bad self-image. People will crawl up in their mother's lap and say, I'm a bad boy if you tell them they're a sinner. It's the truth. You are fallible. You are sinful. You, at your root, you were born basically selfish. And we didn't have to teach you to be self-willed and, and to look out for number one. You may be so selfish that you are even irritated that I'm telling you this. But you are. So am I. We're basically selfish. That's what a sinner is, is being a selfish person. As a self-sinner, you are lost and at sea. It's like you've been dumped overboard. And you have nothing, you're going to be out in the middle of the ocean, not on the edge of a pool. You have no rescue device, and you are completely at the mercy of God finding you and saving you. And he did. He put his son on the cross. He took care of all the guilt that you deserve to be punished for. And then he got that message to you, and he threw out that life preserver, and, and, and you grabbed it. But that, that isn't, really, you were like Mr. Bright, smart person that decided to be a Christian. Who wouldn't grab the great grace of God? The grace converted you. Here's a life preserver. What are you going to do with it? I'm going to grab it because that's going to save my life. Jesus saved you. You needed that help. You also need God's help every day until you die. You are a sinner who needs God's help. You need coaching. You need teaching. You need so much I'm going to read this passage to you. This is the Apostle Paul saying, I need to control myself. And I'm telling you, we all sinners need to be confronted. We need to confront ourselves. We need to let our attitudes be filtered by uh, uh, the God's Word and the, the leadership of teachers and parents and best friends and spouses and kids. Now I'm at that age where my kids are now parenting me and they're calling me out and I'm learning so much from them, right? Here it comes. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. 
I do not fight like a boxer. Okay, I'm kind of every now and then, like twice a week, when I'm supposed to go six times a week, going to Camp Gladiators, right? And my sinful nature is, I'm over here on this mat. Camp Gladiators is a, is a, is a group exercise, right? There's one tra trainer walking around. I want to be over here on my mat doing exercises the best way I know how. I mean, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm a leader. I don't need people coaching me. So every time that trainer comes over and goes, you know, your form isn't really good. You need to... I am inwardly irritated, especially if it's Mary exercising next to me. And she goes, you know, you need to do your form better or whatever. That's, this is not really going to help you that much. That's because as a sinner, you don't want to be coached that much, right? But actually, growing in spiritual maturity and having a good relationship with yourself is learning to be coached and to be led and to just, just talk to... Uh, Brian Katazio just came out of officer training school, and he'll tell you about how he's learned to be coached and be led, right? It, it, it's actually a great thing for a sinner, and God is in the business of doing this in our lives. And, and, and if you try to run from your church that's doing this for you, he's going to bring other people into your life that are going to do it for you, because he's your God. He made you. So get with the program as a sinner and wake up every day and go, I'm a sinner that needs help. I, have, I am redeemed, and I have a God that loves me, but I do need his help, and I need the help of other people, right? Some of you are old enough, like me, to know the old song that was real popular, I don't know, it was probably in the 70s, but people who need people, remember that one, are the what? luckiest people in the world and I as a little kid and I heard that on secular radio it's like I got to learn to need people right he says I beat my body I strike it with a blow to my body to make it a slave so that after I've preached to others I myself will not be disqualified for the prize he's talking about learning to be to accept the help that teaches him to self-discipline himself so that's the third thing and then the fourth thing is you are let's go to that fourth one you are a saint who has a unique impact. I'm not preaching to the world here. This isn't a world, this isn't a sermon for people who don't know God and don't know Jesus or say that they're not even believing he's there. This is a sermon for us, the household of faith. And in, in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, Paul says, that he says, by grace you've been saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. The next verse says this, for we are God's handiwork versus we are our own handiwork. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus. Now, when he says created in Christ Jesus, do you think he's talking about when you were born in your mother's womb or when you were born again as a Christian? It's the second. He's talking about when he brought you to faith, this, this unique creature he made with special talents, abilities, ability to draw or talk or whatever. He said he, when he brought you to faith, then he created you even more. He recreated you in Christ Jesus to do what? It says good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What's a good work? It's not just a don't think on a shallow street level. Let God teach you. That's what we've been talking about today. A good work is anything done for the right reasons, and it's done as a right thing. It's things done by faith in the God that created you. It's, it, it can be helping your spouse keep the house. It can be your job, doing it well. 
It can be a good deed while you're traveling to some other traveler, stranger you don't know. It can be while you're driving. It can be being active in your church that's spreading God's word and finding a place where you fit to be part of the kingdom that pushes forth the gospel. Good works are anything, though, done out of love and faith toward God because you believe all this that he's been telling you. You're like Abel, who gave a sacrifice better than Cain, not because it was better to give an animal than grain. Cain gave grain, Abel gave an animal. But because Abel's heart was right. You've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works for the right reason. Love and faith and appreciation toward God. You just love being good. Even though you're a sinner who half the time would like to be bad. Selfish, right? You've got a new person. Jesus covering you. And now you have an appreciation and you do good works. And you are a saint meant to have an impact. Now having said that, I think it's really cool that we got a few people here that are graduates from college or from high school. It's that time of year, right? To hear a sermon about this. Because here's the leveling influence of God's word that we all need. We all need it. Your main goal in life is not to accomplish any degree. We're glad you did. It's wonderful. But that's not your main event. Your main event in life is not to find a man or a woman. Especially if you're married. You better be finding another one. Okay? Your main event, your main event's not to make a baby. Your main event is not to get rich or have that certain possession. Your main event is to do good works, which God prepared when? In advance for you to do. Well, when was advance? From eternity. He picked you to make you. You're his, you're his idea. Then he picked to save you. And then the rest of your life, he's got these plans. Because he made you and he saved you. And it's going to be, like I said, in, in all these different vocations that you have, including your church and outside of your church, it's not just the, the, you know, the religious thing, but it's everything. But it's all by faith that he wants you to do that. So your big thing is, every day, is to throw yourself into doing good for God and people. That's it. It's that simple. And whatever your life finds to do because of your gender or your education or your family position or your economic status or your health or lack of it, you can only do so much. You're limited by God as you go through life, right? But you can be happy and content and fulfilled as you know who you are and you have a proper relationship with yourself. So here it is. I am a special creation. Why don't you read these with me? I know you're awake. As a special creation, as his dearly loved child, as a sinner who needs help, as a saint who has a unique impact. That's who I am. If, if this resonated with you, I want you to take the bulletin, rip out the page that has the theme and parts on it, and maybe just look at it for a week. Set it somewhere where you'll see it, in your home or your car, not while you're driving. And look at these four points. This is, this is who you are if you're 8 or 88 and everything in between. This is your view of yourself. And all these other things that get in the way, I wanted God's Word today to blow them out of your life and just settle you and establish you in the truth about what God says about this wonderful person called you that he made. So I got this guy looking in a mirror, but who's he seeing? 
Jesus, right? Now, we, we, some of us stand time looking at the mirror longer than others. When I was younger, I looked at it longer. Now I don't want to see what's there. So I just kind of glance, comb the hair, and get out of the way. But it really is a metaphor. Looking in the mirror is a metaphor for looking at yourself. We're all doing it every day. Stop looking at yourself so much and look at Jesus. Let Jesus be the dad that was walking. You know, I had that picture of the dad walking with his little boy. The dad that walks alongside of you. And you looking up at him saying, Jesus, I want, I want, you tell me who I am again so I can get my head straight. So I can be secure and happy and, and a blessing to other people. And how do you do that? Because, you know, I, I sound really smart. You know, look at Jesus. But frankly, I'm going to tell you, I've never seen him. I've only seen paintings of him. Drawings. I bet you haven't either. But I've seen him in my soul. And I know we see him in our soul when we open that book. If we know what we're looking at. And here's the, here's the clarion call. Get to know your Bible on how, and how it works. Get to understand how you look at the words in the Bible daily as something that feeds your soul and defines who you are and learn to love your Bible as not some book that the preacher is going to beat over your head and say you ought to read your Bible more but as the mirror that has Jesus in it. So when you look into the Bible, what happens is this is this true devotional life. When you understand the path, you, you kind of got to get to know someone before you really understand what they're saying have you ever had someone like come way off the wall and then you find out later when you got to know them really well that wasn't really off the wall that was actually then it made sense to you well so many people are so ignorant about the bible when they open it up it's like something coming off the wall it's like what right you gotta take some time you're you still got your wits about you you're able to drive yourself to church today before it's too late and the dementia sets in get to know the bible Learn that there's 66 books and what's the difference between the Old and New Testament and what's, what's the difference between stories and letters and where are the four Gospels and what do they mean. Then, as you read the Bible, read it as your daily moment with God. If you're going to do it on audio or reading or large sections or little verses, but learn to let God talk to you from the mirror. Because what will happen spiritually is inside, no matter what you've been thinking about you and how you fit in with other people, it'll be changed for the better by the powerful living Word of God that speaks to you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.